0: This past Friday, uh, my mom gave me some information that I had come to find out recently that uh, my cousin had done some research. And this information concerned her fam- family, particularly her paternal grandmother. Uh, her maiden name was Rhoda Victoria Elam, so this is my great-grandma. And come to find out that my great-granny Rhoda, though I, that's the first time I ever heard her name, I never, never knew her who she was, that my great-granny Rhoda is a direct descendant uh, from all the paperwork and research that's done, a direct descendant of Robert Elam, who was one of the earliest settlers of the Virginia Colony. He immigrated to America from Kent County, England in the year 1638. Uh, This is their family crest, and the, the Latin that's on it simply means this, I neither despise nor fear. I'm not sure if I could say that's true for me in either one of those categories, but anyhow... The family crest says, I neither despise nor fear. Much, I looked on the internet, much can be found out regarding this family. Uh, they appear to be devout. A lot of them were Baptist, and, and, and they may have been Baptists Baptist over in England at that time. They were also considered privileged. Uh, they were part of the English gentry. Uh, they were not of noble blood, but they were considered part of the English gentry, which means that they owned land which means that they were educated. Uh, they were part of uh, high clerics uh, and others were, were educated. So the family itself was was, was highly educated uh, and they owned land. However, though privileged, uh, they may have, especially if it, the, the aspect of them being Baptist uh, at that time uh, there in England, which was not a good thing to be. Uh, though privileged, they may have been persecuted. And, of course, they risked it all by coming To America. Today, in our politically correct world, being labeled privileged is an insult at worst and embarrassing at best. But according to our text, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ in this era, in this time of redemptive history, you are highly privileged. And it is this privileged status that can and should encourage each and every one of us in difficult times. Uh, That's part of what is going on in this text. Our our text is Peter's final statement regarding the situation of the recipients of this letter. In these first 12 verses, he spent time talking to them uh, about their situation, talking to them, reminding them about who they are. And not downplaying what they're going through, but helping them to take the circumstances of what they're experiencing and filter it through, uh, 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 filtering it through the gospel and filtering it through what God is sovereignly doing in their lives. And as you recall, their present situation is not a good one. They have been ripped from their homes in Rome. Uh, they have been ripped from their jobs. They've been ripped from, from, from their heritage. They've been ripped from everything that they knew and had been, had been uh, by, by the Roman government. And they have been taken and made, uh, in one sense, uh, foreign residents, these, these refugees, so to speak, there in what's modern day Turkey. Uh, and they've been split apart to where they're no longer able to have the kind of fellowship as believers that they were used to in Rome. And so they're going through this, 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 this identity crisis. There, there, there's no roots. There, there's nothing that they, they can look back on. There's nothing that, 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 that's bind, physically that's binding them together. And so Peter, uh, as they're experiencing these difficult times, in these 12 verses, he's seeking to reassure them. He's seeking to encourage them through what they're going through. And, and, and he does so by, by talking to them about, as we've seen, the hope of their inheritance. This inheritance is theirs by birthright. And even though they've lost some things by, by where they were born, this inheritance that they've get, have gotten from God is theirs by birthright. It's guarded by God. The Roman government can't take it away from them. It's realized through trust and obedience to God. Uh, And and by its very nature, it cannot be touched by the the instabilities of time and circumstances, and it is beyond the reach and the events of this world. This inheritance is not going to be determined whether they get to keep it or or don't get to keep it, depending upon who the Caesar is. It is something that is theirs and secure forever. Peter also instructs them as, as regarding as to why they can trust God. And let's be honest, when, when we're going through difficult times, when we're, when we're struggling, when we're discouraged, uh, when, when we are, 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 are facing things that, that we really don't want to face, it, it's, it's easy for us to, to waver in our trust towards God. And, and Peter instructs them as to why. Why they can trust God, even though the circumstances is screaming out to them that God has abandoned them and they can't trust God. We found as we looked at those verses... The previous verses that their trials are transitory in duration, and those trials are within the bounds of God's sovereignty. God is doing something in and through those trials. God has not abandoned them. These trials are not going to last forever, regardless of how many days, weeks, months, years, or even decades it might last on their earthly sojourn. It is not going to last forever. And also that these trials not only proves their, their, their faith's identity, but it also purifies its quality, and that their perseverance and faith in trials is going to enable them to obtain for themselves the goal of their faith centered life. Uh, they're going to be able, if they will persevere, if they will continue to trust God, and as they struggle with that trust, as they, as they, as they battle against those those times of discouragement, as they battle against the decisions to to walk in obedience, as they battle against uh, all the things that they're facing, if they continue to trust God, they will obtain for themselves, we we found the text to say, the goal of their faith-centered life, which we found in verse 9. uh, He says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. The salvation of your soul. And we we found that phrase, that it's not talking about when I die I go to heaven. It's it's the 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 deliverance of one's life. And we talked about the fact that it deals with something in the present and something in the future. Presently it deals with our growth and sanctification. As we learn to trust God in difficult times, it grows us. It grows us. It matures us. It helps us to become, to experience the full stature, the full measure of Christ. Again, sometimes uh, we, we forget that Jesus was also a human being. And Jesus had to trust God. Hebrews tells us that, that, that he, he, he learned obedience through the things which He suffered. He never disobeyed, but, but He had to learn like we do. How to trust God. How to trust God in difficult times in times of rejection, in times of pain, in times of abuse, in times of difficulty, in times when he's misunderstood. He trusted the Father. He trusted the Father. And as we learn to do that, what we gain from that is far more worth than anything we could obtain in this world. Far more worth than any any treasures that we could accumulate. Because we grow and mature into the full stature, into the full measure, we look more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's that's the present, that's the present benefit. But there's also the future benefit of His shared glory. That as we we grow in Christ, and as we seek to do this, we learn to trust Him, that when we stand before God and we hear, well done thou good and faithful servant. Uh, We hear, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. That... God, the, the glory that the Father has given the Son, the Son shares that glory with those who have trusted Him during their sojourn on this earth. And so there, there's a present benefit and a future benefit. Now, in our text in verses 10 through 12, Paul explains to them another aspect of uh, uh, to encourage them regarding the, 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 the circumstances that they're facing. He, he talks to them about two things. He talks to them about their common superior heritage, which is not what we're going to look at today. Lord willing, will look at that this week from these same verses. But he also talks to them about their, their privileged status. Their privileged status. That, that even Now think about it. These are people, if you were to ask them, are they privileged? And if you looked at them, who have been taken and ripped away from, from their homeland, ripped away from everything that they've known, Ripped away from the fellowship that they've encouraged. And they have been scattered throughout Asia Minor. If we were to to, to sit back and just have a chair and have a seat and look, we would find very, very quickly, the last thing that we would call these people would be privileged. Would be privileged. They're not privileged according to the culture. But yet, Peter tells them, one of the things to encourage them in the situation that they're facing is that these people are privileged. Privileged. They have a privileged status. And what is true for them is true for you and I as well. And Peter seeks to use this privileged status to reassure them and to encourage them in their perseverance. The focus today is upon their and our privileged status. They had a privileged status cognitively, they had a privileged status historically. And they had a privileged status cosmically. And so, how are we privileged? How are are they privileged? How are we privileged? What's the sense that we have privileged status? Well, first, it's cognitively. In other words, we have been graced with greater understanding. We have been graced with greater understanding. The whole section, this whole section, grammatically fits under this umbrella... The prophets, the ones who prophesied about... And we're taking just literally from from how it's structured, the the grammatical structure in the Greek text. The prophets, the one who prophesied about the grace that is for you concerning this salvation. Look, Look at how it's translated in our Bible. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours... ...searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. These verses are talking, and again, everything fits under this grammatical structure. The prophets, the ones who prophesied about the grace that is for you, Peter says, concerning this salvation. When you look at word order and when you look at emphasis, that's what you come with. The prophets, the ones who prophesied, about the grace that is for you concerning this salvation. Now, if you're reading this and you understand Bible study methods, the question that you would ask would be what? What salvation? What salvation is being talked about here? Well, it's the same salvation that is mentioned in the previous verse, concerning this salvation. What salvation? Well, just what he got done saying previously, the salvation of your souls concerning this salvation what's salvation it goes back to the salvation of our souls it's the same salvation in verse 9 the present and future deliverance of one's life present sanctification future shared glory but what is the basis what makes this what's the basis of this salvation what makes this possible what makes it possible that all the junk you and I go through, all the pain, all the hurt, all the suffering, all the disappointment, all the poor decisions sometimes that we make. What enables us to to be able to say that if I will persevere through these things, if I will continue to trust God, that not only will I experience the benefit of growing more in the likeness of Christ But I will get to experience, though I don't deserve it, because it's all of grace. I will get to experience the joy of shared glory, which every believer is not going to get to experience that. They'll experience to some degree, but not to, to the full degree. They'll have a cup that's full, but others are going to have bigger cups that are full, because they trusted God during their sojourn on earth. So, what's, what's, what's that based on? What's that based on? And our text tells us, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted, here it is, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent Glories. Why is it that if I will trust the Father now, I get to experience shared glory later? Why? Because that's exactly how Jesus received His glory. Look at the text. Again, what it says. When He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. Before the crown of glory comes the crown of thorns. Jesus experienced the crown of thorns first and then the crown of glory later. Suffering always precedes glory. Always. Always. And that's the salvation that these prophets were talking about. They were talking about the sufferings of Messiah and His subsequent glory. Now, they don't know how it all fits with them as believers. And we'll talk about more of that in just a second. And in fact, the text says concerning the salvation. Look at what concerning the salvation. Look at what the prophets did. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched, inquired carefully, inquiring. Three different words are used there: searched, inquired carefully, and inquired. The first word has the idea of scrutinizing or dissecting. In other words, these prophets are writing under inspiration of the Spirit. They know that their prophecy is about the future. They know that they are writing about the Messiah. But they have some questions. Just like you and I have questions. What's eternity going to look like? After the Millennial Kingdom, what's eternity going to look like? I mean... You know, there's even debate on whether or not we get to be married. Now, I'm, I'm voting for the married part. I'd, li- I'd like to be with Lisa for eternity. Now, I'm not sure if she wants to be with me, but but if I if I get a vote, you know, I, I want that. But I don't know. I mean, during the Millennial Kingdom, I mean, I mean, what what are we going to do? What, what's it going to look like? When's Christ going to come back? You know, every time something happened, oh, this this got this is it. I mean. If he doesn't come back now, I'm not sure when he's going to come back, you know? I mean, how many times in your lifetime have you heard that? I know I've heard it a lot in my lifetime. But we don't know. But they have questions. So as they're writing these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they're wanting to come to some answers. So they scrutinize it, they dissect it. Also, that has the idea of it says that they inquired carefully. That word is used of a dog sniffing out something with his nose. When I was the, at the airport this past week going to Colorado, uh, there was a group of TSA agents kind of over at a different at the gate next to the gate I was at, and one of them had a dog. And I don't know if the dog was just on an exercise or what, but they're taking the dog around, and you know, they're stopping every place and sniffing down the rows. The dog gets to me and he stops. And he starts sniffing my jeans. I mean, not just once or twice. I mean, he sniffs up one leg and he sniffs up the other. And I'm going, hmm, wonder what's going on here. And then he goes on. Oh, okay, you know, maybe the dog just likes me. She comes back around, goes around, and she comes back around with the dog the second time. And the dog stops. And he starts sniffing. And I'm thinking, man, if he sits down... (laughs) You know, I don't. I don't know if, if that's the trigger that says I found something. I'm thinking, man, are these jeans made out of hemp? Or you know, what what you know, what exactly is going on here? I don't know. I'm getting a little worried. You know, I'm hating having to make that phone call. I'm sorry, guys, I can't be there Sunday. The dog sniffed something, and I'm in jail. You know, but that dog was sniffing. He was searching. You know, and she'd say, "Good dog." You know, "Good dog." "Good dog." So I mean, I don't know what's going. On. I still don't know what's going on. But that's the idea here. These guys are like a dog sniffing. I mean, this is how much they're trying to figure out what's going on here. They're sniffing, they're sniffing, they're trying to, they're, they're, they're trying to, 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 to ferret something out. The ESV translates it inquired here, this, this next one. The, the net translates it probe. That they're analyzing, they're probing, they're, they're trying to come up with all these things. Why? Why are they doing this? They're doing this because they are trying to comprehend the startling truth that Messiah was destined to suffer. Messiahs don't suffer. Messiahs deliver. They don't suffer. They deliver. The Greek text there is a little ambiguous into what or into who or has the idea of, 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 of time, the circumstances. In other words, it is a possible reference to Messiah's identity. That part of what they're trying to do is to figure out who the Messiah is. Now, we don't see it much anymore, but I can remember back in the 60s and 70s, people trying to figure out who the Antichrist was. Henry Kissinger was one of them. I mean, that, that, everybody thought Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist for some reason. I don't know. Some of you may remember that. Some of you may not. But there's a, who's the Antichrist? You know, trying to figure it out. Trying to figure all that out. But, but more than likely, while it's possible that this is a reference to them trying to figure out Messiah's identity, what we can say with definite assurance is that it is a definite reference regarding when his suffering will occur and under what circumstances. When is this going to happen? And what are the circumstances that are going to lead up to it And what are the circumstances that are going to be taking place when it happens? They're trying to figure that out. Because Messiahs don't suffer. They're trying to figure out this idea of the sufferings and the subsequent glory. But you and I know that answer, don't we? We've been graced with greater understanding. And and, and we we see that being even further developed... Because what the prophets couldn't ascertain by exhaustive research. I mean, if those, these guys were alive today, they'd be in the library, they'd be on the internet. I don't know if they'd take Wikipedia's word for it or not. But, I mean, they, they would be everywhere trying to figure out. They'd be, they'd be in the, the, the Library of Congress. They would have books stacked this high. Or if they were millennials, they would have you know uh, all these pages opened, all these tabs opened on their computers. You know, They would be looking through there and trying to figure out Figure out what's going on. When's this going to happen? What are the circumstances that will lead up to it? The same kind of curiosity that you and I, when's the rapture going to take place? What are the circumstances that are going to lead up to it? When is Jesus coming back? These guys are searching. But as we said earlier, what the prophets couldn't ascertain by exhaustive research, Peter and his readers had experienced it in history. How are we privileged? Historically, we benefit from living in the last days. Look at verse twelve. He says it, it was revealed to them, to the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you. But you, God did. God didn't reveal to them about the circumstances. God didn't reveal to them about uh, the when it will occur. God didn't reveal to them the identity, but God re- revealed to them that what they were prophesying about and who they were serving was not themselves, but a future generation. A future generation. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. I, I, I'm going to kind, of, I want to kind of pause here because I don't want to jump into next week's lesson. But basically what, what Peter is saying here is this, is the things that the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit are the same. And we'll talk about that, Lord willing, next time. But the things that the Spirit of Christ, that the Spirit of God is revealing to the prophets about the Messiah, the Christ is the same holy spirit that preached through the apostles the message that you've heard that you've heard it's the same message it's the same message and and he and he tells them that 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 what they have here that what they are hearing is 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 this truth about suffering and glory and, and as we think about living in the last days what's so great about, i mean I mean, as I was going through this and and thinking about it, I thought, "Man, what's so great about living in the last days?" (laughs) I mean, we're seeing our culture rot right before our very eyes. It's like those, like those old B. You know, you you, have seen those old B flicks. Those I used to like to watch all those. Was Swinguli? You know, is that y'all know who I'm talking about? Okay. Okay. There, there's another thing on one of, those, one of those one of those channels that's obscure. You know, when I was a kid, it was uh, Doctor Creep. You know, and you'd have you know the, these you know these Godzilla you know movies that you could tell that they were a little animated. I mean, these, okay, and, and you know you'd have the people that would you know kind of die real quick and you know all the skin would melt off of them. There'd just be these you know skeletons there. You know, I think you know that's kind of how our culture is doing. It's just it's just rotting before our eyes just rotting before our eyes. What's so great about living in the last days? Why should people who live on this side of the cross, who live on this side of the cross's history, why should we feel privileged? Why should we? Because I look back and say, hey, wouldn't it have been neat to be alive when Jesus was walking on the earth? Wouldn't it have been neat? To, it ain't going to be neat to be alive, uh, and you think about these different times. But according to the Bible, we're the privileged ones. We're the privileged ones because we live on this side of the cross. This side of the cross. Why should we feel privileged? Two reasons. Verse 12 again. He says, In these things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The Holy Spirit sent from heaven. You and I have something that prior to the resurrection and ascension of Christ, no believer ever had. The ministry of the Holy Spirit operating not only in our lives, but living within us. The tablets, the law has been written on our hearts. We are recipients of part of the new covenant. Not all of it, but part of it. And we have the Spirit of God. We have the paraclete. Uh, another comforter that it comes along and, and, and ministers to us as we're struggling. Who gives us the strength to make the decisions that we need to make. That gives us the grace to endure the things that we need to endure. That when we cry out to Him and say, God, I need help, I need help, it's the Spirit of God who intercedes and ministers on our behalf and gives us the strength when we can't say even words anymore to God. It's the Spirit of God who intercedes and takes our prayers as that sweet-smelling savor, that sweet incense, and takes it to the very throne of grace. It's the Spirit of God operating in our lives that gives us the ability to change and that we have been sealed by the Spirit of God. We can never, ever, 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 ever lose His presence we have the ministry of the Spirit of God. That's a privileged position. That's a privileged position. But not only that, but we have the confirming witness of the suffering glory motif. When these prophets are writing, these prophets are writing at a time when they are suffering. When they are suffering. And here's their message. Messiah's coming down the road. And when He comes, He'll deliver Israel. But they've got nothing to point to. Well, they, they can point back to the Exodus and say, God delivered us then, He can deliver us now. They point back to other things and they can say, Well, God delivered the prophet then, He can deliver the prophet now. And the Exodus was the main thing that they pointed back to. But, but there, there was still something lacking. There, there still needed to be a stronger witness. And, and we find that we're privileged because we have those witnesses. Think about it. As these prophets are writing about the Messiah, a suffering Messiah is a stumbling block to them. Now, it's not that they don't believe, but it's a stumbling block to them. How... Can Messiah suffer? He's come to deliver us. How can we put our trust in a Messiah who's going to suffer? But yet at the same time the the prophet and they wrote about that. At the same time the prophets also wrote about a Messiah who's going to deliver. How do you put this together? How can he suffer and at the same time deliver? How can he be exalted and at the same time be humiliated? How can that happen? And that's why we go back to where they, they inquired. They inquired carefully. They searched. They were trying to figure it out. And they couldn't. Think about this. Now think about this. The very, the very, the very person who is writing this here, who's writing this here, let's go back and think what, what, he, what he earlier thought about a suffering Messiah. Keep your place there in 1 Peter and go back to Mark. Go back to Mark's gospel. Go to the 8th chapter of Mark's gospel. Now, think about what we've just been reading about, what Peter's been stressing. Look at Mark chapter 8. Look at verse 31. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, and the chief priest, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. No parables, no innuendos, no read-between-the-lines... Puts it straight out there. So much so, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. What are you, what are you talking about? What are you talking about a suffering Messiah? What are you talking about you're going to be killed. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And it was this same Peter. When Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets, verse 29, and he asks them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him and said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Peter knows he's the Messiah, but when this Messiah says, I'm going to suffer, Peter says, not on my watch. You're crazy. We need to have a talk. We need to have a talk. But yet, after the resurrection, after the ascension, it's this same Peter that's writing and saying, the message is suffering and then glory. Suffering and then glory. Suffering, Messiah, was a stumbling block, not just to the prophets. It was a stumbling block to Peter. And it was still incomprehensible immediately after the resurrection. look Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, and we're going to read... I'm sorry, Luke's... I'm sorry, chapter 24. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. And we're going to read an extensive part here. Luke 24, look at verse 13. That very day... He's talking about now, this is, this is the resurrection. That's the day that's referring to. The resurrection's taking place earlier that morning. That very day, two of them... That's talking about two disciples of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. They're talking about Christ's death, His trial, His crucifixion, the fact that it's been reported that He's been resurrected. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing them. Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? Normal question. You come upon a couple people. You're, hey, what are you guys talking about? And Jesus says, hey, what, what? Okay, let's 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 make them from from Texas. What are y'all talking about? Okay, rather than from Ohio, what are you guys? What are you guys talking about? Okay, you guys. What are y'all talking about? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him. Are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to him, What things? What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? Suffering precedes And beginning with Moses, and beginning with Moses, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What is he interpreting to them? That Messiah has to suffer, and then Messiah is glorified. Suffering Messiah was a stumbling block to the prophets. suffering Messiah was a stumbling block to Peter, and it was still incomprehensible after the resurrection, yet it is the very essence of the secrets of the kingdom. Go back to Matthew's Gospel again, chapter 13, and we looked at this when we were dealing with the kingdom parables. In Matthew 13, verses 10 through 11... The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. You remember when we talked about all the secrets of the kingdom of heaven? And part of the basis of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven is this. We serve, we trust, we suffer in order that we might obtain glory. That we might obtain glory. That's the essence We are privileged to understand with certainty. We have the witness, uh, we'll get that in a second. With certainty that our appointed sufferings, when endured, are designed to result in subsequent glory. We are privileged to understand with certainty, certainty, I would bet the house on this, The house on this, that we are privileged, that our appointed sufferings, excuse me, when endured, are designed to result in subsequent glory. What's the historical proof? (coughs) Excuse me, how can I say that with 100% certainty? The death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation. Jesus Christ. That's how I can say that with certainty. Because I have the witness of Christ. I have the witness that He suffered and then was exalted. And that tells me that if I will continue to trust God, even in times of difficulty... Even through the sufferings that God allows you allows me to walk through, that that will attain unto glory. So, as believers, cognitively we've been graced with greater understanding. Thank you, Larry. Historically, we benefit from living in the last days. Excuse me. Finally, as believers, we have the privileged status because cosmically. We are more than observers. Look at the last part. It's almost like a throwaway line. Look at verse 12. He says, It was revealed to them that they were serving, not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And it's almost a throwaway. Things into which the angels long to look. It's almost a throwaway line. It appears like it's almost a throwaway line, but yet it's important. So, as we look at that line, the first thing we ask is what is is the direct object of the angel's interest? Well, the direct object of what the angels long to look at is things. Things. Well, you would say what? What things? What things? Well, the word that's translated things, you go back and you find it there in the middle of verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things. Those are the things that the angels are looking into, that they long to look. And what what are and he expands what those things are that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. What, are the, what is the good news that is preached to them by the Holy Spirit? Well, that we got to jump back up a the previous verse, because the things that have been preached to them by the Holy Spirit are exactly the same things that the prophets were speaking about by the Spirit of Christ. Which is what? Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. That's the direct object. What are the things which the angels long to look? The things are all the truths concerning the sufferings of Christ and His subsequent glory. That's what they long to look at. All the things that entail the sufferings of Christ and its subsequent glory. Now, two things are stated regarding the angel's relationship to these things. The first thing is that, they, that things into which the angels long or desire, it speaks of desire, their desire to look. Now, what kind of desire do they have? Their desire is not a desire of idle curiosity. While I was in Colorado, I was in a converse, somebody called me and it was in a conversation, and, and Cassie said, uh, "Dad, there's nobody in the church." but it, she said, "Dad, I'll just go to bed." Well, instead, she just kind of lays out on the couch. My daughter's a curious curious girl, okay? She just kind of lays out on the couch. So I put I put down the, the, the volume on my phone. And uh, so after that, and so then the next morning, I'm up, and then she gets up, and she comes in the living room and says, So, Dad, what's going on with so-and-so? <laughs> I said, Cassie, I said, I can't tell you that. I said, just like if you tell me something, I don't tell You know, I don't tell your siblings what's going on or whatever. And you know, I said if if you tell me something, I don't tell it to Bryson. I don't tell it to Grant. If Grant tells me something, I don't tell it to Bryson. I don't tell it to Cassie. You know, uh, and and, you know, I said "I, I can't. I can't do that. You know, and you know, and that's one of the things I love about my daughter. She's curious. She just, I mean, she just, she wants to know what's what's going on everywhere. You know, that's not this kind of curiosity. Their desire is not a desire of idle curiosity. But their desire is a longing to see the fulfillment of God's promises. What they're longing for is to see all this thing come to its glorious end. And see all the glorious things about it that bring it to this glorious end. And to see the suffering. And how God turns that suffering into glory. That's the first thing. The second thing, and this is where we get our privileged position. These angels have front row seats. They have front row seats to this. But you know where you and I are at? We're not in the stands. We're on the field. We haven't gone. It's been a few years since we've gone, but but for a while there, my, my my boys and I, every year we'd pick a different NFL stadium to go to and we'd get good seats. I mean, we'd get as close to the 50 as we could and I think we'd get somewhere between 8 to 20 rows back. And We paid a premium for them but it was something we enjoyed doing. And we'd get to see as they were warming up those players up close. But it's, that wouldn't have been near as thrilling as being on the I wouldn't want to suit it up or anything. You don't get hit by a three hundred pound, you know, lineman. But there's a difference between being a spectator. And there's a difference between being a participant. The angels are looking to see how all this works out. You and I are experiencing it every day of our lives. We are experiencing it as superior as angels are to humans. God created God created the angels just like he created us. In many ways they are superior to us. You better not say, you better not tell an angel, anytime you want to get froggy, just jump. Cuz one of them can kill 100 Well, we got one instance in the Bible where they killed one one angel killed 186,000 people. Boom, they're dead. So you don't you don't want to say that. You know, they, they can go between here and heaven. No problem. You try that. You're not going to make it out of the atmosphere. And you need a rocket to get there. They don't. In a lot of ways, in many ways, angels are superior to us. But yet, it was not to them or for them that the promises have been made concerning the already and not yet fulfillment of the glory, the sufferings, and glory of Christ. In fact, Scripture tells us we're, we're made lower than the angels. But yet, the promises God has made to us with the opportunity of experiencing of Christ sharing His glory with us is a promise not given to the angels. Not given to the angels. We are privileged in the cosmos. If you are a child of God, you have a privileged status. You understand the suffering and glory motif of Messiah. Ezekiel didn't understand it. Daniel didn't understand it. Jeremiah didn't understand it. Haggai didn't understand it. Habakkuk didn't understand it. They didn't understand it. Elijah didn't understand it. Elisha didn't understand it. You do. You do. You have the operative ministry of the Spirit of God. David prayed that the Spirit of God wouldn't be taken away from him after his sin with Bathsheba. Saul had it taken away from him. Samson, it would just come upon him every now and then. Not you. Not me. The Spirit of God is operating in my life 24-7. You have the historical example of Jesus. you got something better to point back to than the Exodus. You have what the Exodus pictures. The lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. The one who not just divides the waters, but walks on them. and calms the storm. The one who suffered beyond any imaginable suffering that you and I can experience, but also has been seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And given a name that's above every name because He suffered and was glorified. My suffering can lead to glory if I will commit myself to God and trust Him. You and I are participants and not merely spectators in the kingdom program of God. I don't have front row seats. I'm on the field. So are you. This last week, uh, DTS's uh, alumni newsletter, whatever, the chaplain for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is a DTS grad. And you know, last year they, they won the Super Bowl. It's one thing to be even the chaplain. I'm not sure if he got a ring or not. He may have. It's not going to be as expensive as the players, but you know, he may have one thing to do that it's one thing to be on the field and to actually win the game to win the game so the next time that you or the next time that I ponder on why life is so difficult and it is it is the next time we find ourselves pondering on why life is so difficult and I don't mean in a whiny you know whiny Self pity way where we just think, Golly, I'm just, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm hurting. I'm, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I'm talking about being whiny and being self centered, just, just, just the burdens and the pressures and the difficulty of being broken people in a broken world living as part of the diaspora, as well as part of the sons and daughters of God. Remember that though it is not presently visible, you and I are individuals with privileged status as citizens of God's kingdom, whose momentary trials, as we trust our Father, will result in eternal Keep trusting God. Keep doing what's right. Keep walking in obedience. Keep hanging on. Keep battling. Don't give up. Say, God, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Do whatever you have to do. Talk to whoever you have to talk with. Read the scriptures. Get on your knees. Memorize the word of God. Fellowship with other believers. Do whatever you have to do. Because those momentary trials will result in eternal glory. How do I know this? Because my big brother went through the same exact thing. And I'm part of the same family father that exalted him is the same father that's going to exalt me because i'm connected to him through his son and that's part of what it means to be in christ in christ don't allow satan don't allow your own sin don't allow your discouragement and your despondency Don't allow the desires of your flesh to rob you to where you're robbing from yourself the subsequent glory that awaits you as you trust God in difficult, hard, Father, thank you for your word today.